Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 38. So the, the kinds of things that, that, that uh, we were comparing tutoring to were things like um, after-school programs, summer school programs, um, technology, extended day. They, most of those are, you know, have some impact. I'm not saying that they don't, that they're not effective or you shouldn't use them. Uh, but compared to tutoring, it's just like, what? You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. What's going on, teachers and educators? And thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. Man, I am still... Uh, just blown away that I got a chance to sit down with my guest today. It is the Dr. Robert Slavin. Uh, he is out of Johns Hopkins University, uh, and he is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Uh, we talk of a lot about a lot in this episode. Uh, everything from you know his his experience as a student, as I always start the episodes with, but um, really to his early uh, introduction to. Um, you know, leadership within the uh, Department of Education Studies and, and Education uh, Research. And uh, we go through a lot. We go through um, a bunch of the different resources that are available through Johns Hopkins, like the B, which is the best evidence encyclopedia. Uh, we also talk about evidence for ESSA, which has to do with uh, the new um, bill that was passed under the Obama administration that basically replaces No Child Left Behind. Uh, and really talks about evidence-based education and uh, why we really shouldn't put as much weight on that phrase as we probably do, um, and how the term evidence-based uh, is kind of useless, <laughs> at least according to uh, Dr. Slavin today. Um, we then wrap up with a discussion around his Success for All Foundation, uh, the why behind, um, you know, why that why that foundation got started, uh, some of the amazing stuff that they're doing with that, and then uh, some of the tutoring. Uh, we kind of wrap up with this discussion about tutoring and why it's uh, such an important um, resource and, and strategy to implement, especially now since there is funding set aside specifically for it in the new uh, rescue plan under the Biden administration. So, um Man, this I, I told him at uh, the end of the episode that this was like drinking from a fire hose. Um, you're just going to get so much value out of this episode, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. But before we get into it, I want to remind you of just a couple things. One is, the first one and the biggest one, honestly, is uh, the Facebook group that we have uh, for this podcast. So if you go uh, to jabadoo.com right there on the homepage, there's a link to join our group. And uh, what are you going to get when you join this group? Well, um, I'm in there posting uh, every single day. Uh, it could just be a reminder about the upcoming episodes. It could be some of the quotes that uh, were taken from the episodes that are just nice little nuggets, uh, food for thought. Uh, do some resources, uh, you know, just some some links that I, I think are valuable that I've found I have found value in, and I want to share them out with you. Um, and then uh, hopefully, occasionally, I'll be bringing in some uh, guests to do some. Uh, private Facebook lives with uh, just our group. So uh, I did one last week or two weeks ago. Uh, you can go check that out. That was with uh, 
Tom Nicknish uh, from Vivid Learning, and we walked through, you basically got a private demonstration from the new 3D software uh, that he and uh, Vivid Learning have come up with, and um, it was just a really cool presentation and really cool uh, walkthrough that was available just for you guys. So um, if you want to be a part of the conversation and a part of some of those uh, you know opportunities to engage, um, go check us out, facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo, or like I said, just jabadoo.com. Uh, right there on the homepage, there's a link for it. And as always, everything that we talk about on this episode can be found on our show notes. You can find those at jabadoo.com slash show 38. And like I said, this was just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, so you'll definitely want to go check those notes out. Again, jabadoo.com slash show 38. And I think that's about it. I can't wait for you to listen to this. Let's get into my conversation with Dr. Robert Slavin. All right, my guest today on the Jabadoo Education Podcast is the director of the Center for Research and Reform in Education at Johns Hopkins University and is the co-founder of the Success for All Foundation. He has authored or co-authored more than 300 articles and chapters and 24 books on topics ranging from educational psychology, cooperative learning, and comprehensive school reform. Among many other accolades, he was awarded the E.L. Thorndike Career Achievement Award by the American Psychological Association in 2017, and in 2019, he was awarded the American Educational Research Association Distinguished Contributions to Research in Education Award. Most recently, he was ranked as one of the most influential education scholars in the U.S. by Education Week, and I will do my best to not be too starstruck in this conversation. <laughs> Dr. Robert Slavin, thank you so much for joining me on the Jabadoo Education Podcast. How are Glad you? Glad to be here. I'm fine. Thank you. Okay. Um, like I said, right before I hit record, uh, you're my first guest with his own Wikipedia page. Uh, and, and that's my, my metric of success right now, which <laughs> I'm very appreciative of. But uh, yeah, this, this ranking came out from Education Week uh, a few weeks back for 2021. And you were eight behind... Carol Dweck, whose research is on mindset and all that, and Howard Gardner, who was multiple intelligence theory. So it's Carol Dweck, Howard Gardner, and Robert Slavin. How does that feel? Um, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just, just one more thing, huh? Well, it's good. Company. Yeah, I mean that's not that's not my main purpose, but it's a it's sort of a byproduct of the things that that I try to do. Of course. Yeah. So I always like to uh, give some perspective here. So one of the ways to do that is to just go back and, and see who was Dr. Robert Slavin as a student before, you know, all the accolades came rolling in in the last couple of years. So what was your experience in, in the education system here? Um, some highs and lows from, you know, being a student and what were some, uh, you know, how did you get down the path that you're going? You well, how far back are we talking here? <laughs> Go, just give me a, a 15 second, you know, not 15, but two minutes of like your K 12 experience. Um, just some highlights that you remember. Well, I was, uh, I was a good student, I was very feisty, I was constantly getting into arguments with my um, into arguments with my teachers. Uh, I remember I had a civics class, uh, in um ninth grade and uh my civics teacher was very right wing and i was kind of the opposite and so we would have these these long ongoing uh arguments about one thing and another and at which it, it during which he would always uh pass the hat and say well let's send this guy to england 
uh, <laughs> of course, <laughs> it didn't work out. But um, uh, but I, I was I was um, very interested in uh, in science uh, and in mathematics and in uh, actually in everything. Uh, I really enjoyed school generally, uh, and um, but I, I but I clearly you know enjoyed the learning more than I enjoyed right. the you know the other aspects of school, which are depressing. And then I and then I went to uh, I, so I, I I went to school at uh, in Bethesda uh, at Bethesda Chevy Chase High School, and then to uh, Reed College in Portland, Oregon. And Reed College at that time still is kind of a way out there uh, kind of a place, very traditional academically, very rigorous academically, but um, but very liberal socially. Okay. Um, and uh, so that was a wonderful place to be. This was, I'm talking here about uh, 1968 to 72, which I can see you don't remember, but uh, <laughs> those of us who no, do, sorry. Um, those of us who do, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was the time of, uh, you know, marches in the streets and uh, a lot of uh, upheaval and change in society. So it was a very interesting time to be in college and in, in, in that specific one. Um, and uh, so I, uh, when I was 19 uh, and a sophomore, I met Nancy, who you just met. Yep. Uh, and uh, we, you know, became an item and um, she was all, both of us shared a, 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 a deep interest in education. We were in psychology, mm-hmm. but, you know, again, the, the world was kind of blowing up and, and the, everybody right. had to have a, a theory of how the, to change the world utterly to, to make it, uh, make it better. Couple, couple parallels to, uh, to this year. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and, and, and our idea, it, it, in a lot of ways, it was. Um, but uh, so our, our idea was that psychology should be applied to whole populations, if you can. And one place in which that kind of thing could happen was education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we uh, both, um, as undergraduates, took the, the even though we we're psychology majors, we took the education courses as well. And so when we, both of us, when we graduated, were had teaching certificates. Yeah. Um, and um, so I taught, I, I, I did my student teaching in high school social studies, but um, couldn't get a job in it. So because I couldn't coach anything, I did, nobody told me right. that if you wanted to get a high school job, you had to coach. <laughs> uh, I suggested chess, but it just didn't fly. <laughs> I would take it. I, I love yeah. chess. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, so I got a job in in uh, special education, mm-hmm. uh, and so I was a special education teacher for a while, and then I went to uh, to graduate school at Johns Hopkins. Right. Um, kind of been there ever since. <laughs> been there ever since, right? Yeah. I came to I came to work with James Coleman, who was a very famous sociologist at the time and focused on education, um, who had said some things that had a lot of influence on me in an area that. He usually isn't thought of for, but it basically led to cooperative learning. Uh, he was talking about why is it that uh, that uh, kids who are engaged in uh, sports and um, social activities and so on are very popular, 
and kids who are engaged in academics are so unpopular. And he said, well, maybe it has something to do with the fact that in sports and social activities, if you succeed, others succeed. Whereas in academics, mm-hmm. if you succeed, others fail. You know, there's a, there's there's, a curve. And, yeah, there's that yeah, dichotomy, yeah. And so he was wondering, well, could we get people working in teams or working, you know, in, he, he, he went down that road of, of, could you get people working in groups so that when they succeed, others succeed just as in sports. And I, I was very attracted by that idea and then came, basically came to Johns Hopkins to work with him. Needless to say, he left the year I came. Oh. <laughs> so I got to know him just a, a, a little bit later. And I, and I certainly worked with a lot of people who had worked with him. Uh, and basically, um, you know, went into Johns Hopkins in in uh, sociology, but again, always thinking about education. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a research center um, at Hopkins. And I just, in my first semester, I started working in that research center. Uh, and basically that's, that was my graduate experience. I took, you know, the requisite classes and so on, but really work doing, doing research um, from my first uh, semester. And then it just so happened that my advisor left academia entirely. They had a, a vacancy. I took his job and I've been there ever since. And there you that, go. <laughs> that, that was 1975. So, you know, I've been <laughs> a very long career that wasn't supposed to happen that way, but it yeah, did. <laughs> but it did. Um, you know, every, every the some of the research that I've done, you know, leading up to this conversation, uh, it just, it seems like you've always been uh, an advocate for the underdog. Um, and, you know, like you said, the the early work that you did with special education and, and uh, special needs populations um, has transferred uh, a little bit into some of the work that you're doing with uh, the Success for All Foundation that you started now with your wife, uh, yes. which which also who also happens to teach there uh, or work there with you at uh, Johns Hopkins, which uh, that's a what a coincidence. What a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> um, but before we, before we uh, hop over to that. Um, the center that you work with there at Johns Hopkins is it just seems to be loaded with uh, just resources for teachers to check out and for teachers to be aware of. Um, and when I was looking at it, a, a couple of them that uh, I just wanted to highlight were uh, B, which is the the best evidence encyclopedia, uh, which is which is there at Johns Hopkins. And then the other one is uh, the um, essence for ESSA or evidence for ESSA. Right. right. So ESSA being the uh, Every Student Succeeds Act, which is what, what happened under the Obama ad, ad administration and is in large part uh, responsible for this idea of evidence based practices. Right. That term kind of is is rooted in a lot of what ESSA is. So uh, let's go back to B. So this this uh, the best evidence encyclopedia. What is that and uh, how how can teachers use that? Well, the the um, in a way, the. Best Evidence Encyclopedia and Evidence for ESSA, they weren't made at the same time, but but they they uh, occupy different purposes. Um, but both of them were designed to make it easy for people to find evidence on uh, classroom practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that the, uh, the, the B uh, has reviews of research, more, more academic kinds of reviews of research, but meant to be you know reasonably readable uh, reviews of research, all of which are published in, in, uh, various journals as well. Uh, but, um, uh, the, the, the idea of it 
so so it, 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 there, there are reviews of research on elementary reading, secondary reading, elementary math, secondary math, uh, you know, kind of covering the waterfront on mm -hmm. writing, on early childhood uh, pre preschool programs. Did I already say that? Uh, and, so, no. <laughs> and uh, you know, a whole lot of other stuff. We've also been very interested in uh, methodology for doing meta-analyses, which is, you know, what the, the methodology behind these things are. And so over a period of time, uh, we have reviews of just about everything that's taught in K to 12, except for social studies, my topic, which <laughs> nobody does any research on. Uh, but um, why, do you think that, why, is, why does nobody do research on social studies learning? Well, probably because they don't think it's important. <laughs> most, uh, most, I mean, what, one of the things that's remarkable in doing these meta-analyses uh, you learn a lot about kind of the the whole field because you're looking at everything. Sure, yeah. And um, if you look at the amount of, of uh, good quality research, the overwhelming location of that research is in reading. Hmm. Second is math. Makes sense. Uh, For the priorities of, of this country anyway. <laughs> yeah, but but one of the things that, that's, that then is surprising is the very, 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 very small amount of research in science. Um, really? Yes. I mean, here, you know, politicians and educators are always talking about how important science is and that the world is beating us because they do so much better at science and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada science. But the actual amount of, sci of, of, um, of uh, research in science is so small that um, the What Works Clearinghouse, which is a sort of a federal agency yep. that does something a little bit like what we do in this regard, uh, they stopped reviewing science. Just altogether. They just stopped. Time. There wasn't enough to review. That's incredible. I mean, someday they might start it up again. We actually have a contract uh, to, to do a review of research in science in elementary schools right now. Yeah. Um, so, but it's just remarkable how little there is. And we're, we, we, in order to get an adequate number of, uh, of articles to review of good quality studies, we looked in the whole world. Uh, usually, you know, we restrict to the US and, and Europe, but we looked in the whole world and about half of the studies are non-US. Whereas in any other area in reading or math, uh, this, you know, it's, it's like 90% uh, US. Wow, that's that's fascinating, and it, I I mean it ties a little bit into you know this this rise of uh, like anti intellectualism that we're seeing a little bit, and uh, it, they, I'm not sure I'm not sure how court or uh, how related those two things are, but it, that when you said that, that's what popped into my mind is you know this this almost attack on on science that we're seeing in in this in our culture, um, and and the idea that facts can be manipulated and facts can be changed to, to suit your argument. Um, that's just really fascinating. So um, moving then over to uh, evidence for ESSA, like you said, it's kind of tied in the same way, but this, this seemed to be a little bit more geared towards education. Yeah. Uh, I mean, toward more geared towards, towards educators and towards, right. uh, you know, programs specifically. Right. Right. So, right. The, that this came about in a kind of an interesting way after you mentioned the, um, uh, the passage of the ESSA law, the Every Student Succeeds mm -hmm. Act uh, in 2015. And um, 
and it did have this you know wonderful definition of what it means uh, for a program to have strong strong moderate or promising uh, evidence of effectiveness i went to a meeting after it had been launched and the uh, the person in charge of IES at that time was speaking and she said, um, and I asked, well, is there going to be any attempt to link the What Works Clearinghouse to ESSA? She said, no. <laughs> that seems so like the first words, thing that you should do. I mean, Right, I mean, if you're serious about the evidence right, right. and you don't have the same rules, for what counts as as uh, proven programs in the in the two things, and there were you know some serious discrepancies, and you're not you know designing things to to make it easy for people to find the um, the information on things that they actually use in classrooms, then how is this supposed to happen? So I kind of went back to my office that that same day, and you know kind of you know gathered everybody around, you know graduate students and colleagues and so on, and I said. And it described the situation. I said, we have to do this. We have to help our government. It's our patriotic <laughs> duty. And, um, you know, we have to make the thing that the government should have made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other thing is that what we're clearing house is way out of date. It's, it's very, 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 very slow. So, you know, of course, we had to deal with the fact that we had no money to do this. And we said, we're doing it anyway. And so we just kind of, you know, looked under couch cushions and, you know, deviated money into a new, it used a lot of volunteer labor, uh, both uh, graduate students. And also one of the things that we've been doing for years is uh, having foreign students or foreign faculty members, uh, you know, who are working in the U.S. And they, they Hopkins is a very popular place for them to come, mm -hmm. in education anyway. And so um, a number of them have, you know, have been going back, they, some of them were still with us and some of them had gone back to their countries, but they, this is a wonderful opportunity for them to kind of get current with, with the research. And so that we had many willing volunteers willing to, uh, to work on this. And so we, we started this in, uh, started thinking, you know, the, that speech I heard was in maybe September, uh, 2016. Okay. By February, by the end of February 2017, which is not very long. No, yeah, <laughs> less we than launched, We launched the reading and math. Wow. Website. I mean, it was now that, that was another fast. Right, another thing. A lot like what I'm going through right now, in terms of you know 24/7 because it was uh, just steam along. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I, I spent some time digging around it, and it is you you go in and and. One of the one of the arguments that's made is that a lot of the good research is done for programs, right? You're not going to find standalone good research typically, right? So that's one of the one of the arguments there. Are, am I getting that correct? Well, it, it's there's a there is an interesting problem when uh, when you there's research on variables and there's research on programs. Variables are the kinds of things that uh, people you know, like to hear about and teachers like mm -hmm. to hear about because then they can kind of use those, you know, like uh, wait time is a good thing or uh, rec reinforcement of students for doing a good job is a right. good thing. Things like, like short, things that short, tangible things. Right. But uh, the difficulty is that variables are not well-defined uh, so that somebody can take uh, a general concept like feedback is good. Well, what kind of feedback? You know, okay. what what uh, 
you know, how much of it? Does too much of it uh, bad? There's evidence that sometimes too much of it can be bad. You know, just to know that right. feedback is good is not knowing very much. Whereas in the case of a program, all of that has been, you know, is in a teacher's manual of some sort. And it's clear what we mean by feedback. It may have all the same variables in there one way or another. Affected, an effective program generally does. But, um, but it's specific about what materials, what uh, strategies, what, you know, how you're going to use those ideas in practice and provides professional development specifically on that. Uh, so uh, that's why the the evidence is focused on programs. That's why the What Works Clearinghouse is focused on programs, and we do. Um, and uh, there are some other things that focus more on those variables, but they're very, very, very squishy. <laughs> very squishy. Is that I the mean, technical term? Hard to, yeah, hard to, <laughs> you know, like nailing Jello to a wall. It's very uh, hard to get hold of exactly what do we mean here. Right. Yeah. And I know that that's one of the things it, it almost seems like everything now is advertised as evidence-based. So, I mean, what would the thing be like if you, if teachers are looking at something and, and it, it claims that it's evidence-based, like that's almost, that claim is almost like, well, this, this proves that this is good, right? That that's kind of the psychology that goes, I feel like goes with that term. So what do teachers have to look out for when, when they hear something is evidence-based? I think if you hear that something is evidence-based, you can ignore that. <laughs> Seriously, um, because people will use it for anything, 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 anything. So, you know, if you look back into it, and that's what I do, uh, yeah. you know, for as my main profession is, um, you know, you is I go back and get the actual articles, or you know, look and look and find out if there are any citations at all, and you, you look at the citations, mm -hmm. and they were on something else entirely, or they were a story about one school that did something cool. Um, you know, it doesn't even meet the most, most rudimentary of standards if there is a study at all. Uh, so evidence base is, you know, nobody, everybody says it and it means nothing at all. <laughs> it means uh, nothing at all. So we, we, we use the term proven mm. um, as a, you know, to, to kind of combat that, that it, because uh, proven people have a, have a pretty good sense of what that means. And that's not the same as evidence based. Right. Um, and it's sad because there are things that may be evidence-based and, and, uh, and really have evidence, but they're, they're just swamped by the things that aren't. So unless you're willing to go spend the afternoon in the library figuring this out, uh, you might want to assume when you see evidence-based that it's probably not. It's probably just uh, go with, go with, go in with that assumption. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, so, so the really the there are very few instances of things that are other than programs that really have solid evidence of effectiveness and are clearly replicable. Right, right, yeah. Because I mean, programs when they when they are developing, they want that to prove that it works. So they're going to go and they're going to do the correct uh, quality of research that goes into it. So um, going back to the evidence for ESSA.org, uh, you can go in, you can, you can find your program that you might be using in math and, and reading and English and, and find where, where does it sit on that scale of uh, uh, good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> right. So that'd be a, just an interesting thing for you to do. Well, that is, yeah, it's, you mean for teachers to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and uh, That's the if point. you type in the name of just about any program there is, it will tell you if there's any evidence and, and nine times out of 10, there is not, or if there's any positive evidence and then most of the rest of the, you know, the, the 10 out of 10 falls in that category. 
So it's, it's a rather small set of programs that uh, either have ever been evaluated or if evaluated that have been uh, found to be uh, successful. And that's, that's, you know, and again, I think it's because there's no accountability for this, really, because you can just say evidence-based, right? people don't want to spend the money to do the, you know, quality studies. And uh, so most of the things that you would find, you know, at, uh, breathlessly advertised in, uh, you know, in, in education publications, who knows, they could be who effective, but they, but they weren't designed to be effective because nobody is thinking about effectiveness as being the criterion because they're not going to be held accountable for that. They're going to be held accountable for marketability. Mm. Unfortunately. So, yeah. There's a sad, there's a sad thought. For there's you. a sad reality. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's the reality we live in. So luckily there are people like you and the team of, of uh, professors and colleagues that you have uh, putting together the, the work so that teachers can just go to a site like that and check on their own stuff and make sure that it's, it is proven and not right. just evidence-based. Um, that's fantastic. So let's transition then into uh, your foundation, what you what you started with your wife, Nancy, who, like you said, hopped on uh, earlier and said hi to me. So hi to her back because she's still in the room. Uh, but uh, you two um, put together this Success for All Foundation, uh, which has now in light of the COVID-19 uh, you know, lockdowns and everything, there's a number of students who are falling behind. And you've Again, you've picked up, like you, you mentioned earlier with, uh, with the ESSA thing, you've picked up and you said, we need to do something about this and let's go, let's figure it out. And tutoring is the response. And uh, I, I listened to uh, an interview that you had earlier where you said, it's amazing that out of all of the things that we implement, tutoring blows everything else out of the water as what's going to help students moving forward. So um, let's... I guess maybe maybe I went a little bit too far. Why did go back to go back to uh, Success for All Foundation? Where did that come from? Why did we start it? This is all the way back in 1987, uh, and um, what 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 happened at that time? Uh, it was not a crisis, but it but it's sort of the the continuing crisis that is urban education in America. Uh, but um, we had uh, done a lot of work on cooperative learning, on kids working in small teams. And uh, over time, we were starting to take cooperative learning and use it as a basis for doing whole school or whole, I mean, first off for whole class, you know, that wasn't just something to do from time to time, but became kind of the basic way of organizing your class and found it very successful. And then began putting it together into school level um, interventions uh, to deal with a number of other things, because cooperative learning doesn't solve all the problems. There are still many other things that have to be attended to. Uh, and just about the time we were doing that, we, we also did a book on uh, proven programs for students at risk, mm -hmm. which so you, know, you can see the continuity Proven there. programs, yeah. Proven <laughs> programs on students at risk. Um, and, uh, you know, th that contained a number of reviews of research on what, what works for, for uh, kids at risk. And just about that time, somebody from uh, in, in Baltimore who'd been on the school board and he'd been a professor of social work at University of Maryland and kind of general all-round gadfly, he's still around and uh, still being a, as a, much of a gadfly as he always was, um, was friendly with the superintendent at that time and uh, came to talk to us one day. He just said, you know, can I come over and just have a chat? So 
we had very interesting kind of conversations about what would you do uh, if you could, if you had the freedom to do whatever is necessary to make sure that kids would succeed in inner city Baltimore schools. So we had, you know, what about the, you know, what, what would you do with the curriculum about instruction, about, uh, about um, kids who were having difficulties? What would you do with special education? What about kids that couldn't see well or couldn't hear well? Mm -hmm. You know, all the different ways in which kids can fail and what ways in which kids could succeed. And it was just, we thought it was interesting conversation. And then one day he comes in and he says, well, I got the money for the thing we've been talking about. And then we go, <laughs> uh, I thought we were just talking. But we had the freedom to, to, to wow. jump on it. And so a group of us uh, started working with a, a large group of people from the Baltimore City Schools at the time uh, to jointly plan, well, what would it look like? What would you, how would you really put these ideas together and make a practical uh, program that could make a big difference in, mm -hmm. you know, in kids' trajectories in elementary school? I mean, the first thing that, yeah. that we recognized was this had to be solved in elementary school first. And so we designed, uh, we had some elements that, you know, already ready to go in upper elementary reading, for example, and in math. Um, and, uh, but we had to develop a beginning reading program and we, you know, a lot of, whole lot of other things that had to be done in a very short period of time. Sure. And so we launched, the, the, all these discussions were taking place in like fall 1986 and by fall 1987, we launched our first school. With all, I, I, I hear a, there's a pattern here. <laughs> yes, that's right. Just make a decision, go. Right. Do it. Um, and um, so we, the, the results, so, so that we, we put a program together that involved cooperative learning as a key part of instruction, strong emphasis on phonics, but this was before phonics was in, but the evidence showed phonics was a good idea. So a proven so, evidence. Proven evidence. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and, um, you know, a whole lot of things that we derive from our previous work or that the work of others to say, well, what's, what are the most effective thing, the uh, components, and could you put them together and in, into a rational form to make them effective? The effectiveness in this, in the first school that we tried was utterly incredible, utterly, I mean, truly, uh, massive uh, change. Now, it included tutoring. So that was one element of this, okay. low-achieving low kids. Uh, but there were, you know, many other things. And, collect, and over time, you know, uh, as kids went along in the years, instead of starting to fall behind, they, they were continuing to accelerate throughout the elementary grades. And uh, th so there was a, an evaluation that then followed them through eighth grade. So the, the program went through fifth grade, but then followed them through eighth grade. And by eighth grade, the kids were still quite markedly ahead of, of uh, where a control group of schools was. Uh, and more importantly, uh, they, the program had cut um, uh, special education assignments in half mm. and it had cut uh, retentions in grade in half. Wow. And the save this, the monetary savings from reducing special education and uh, retentions completely paid for the program. So there was an independent researcher that looked at this and did this cost effectiveness thing. And he said, well, he's trying to look at comparative cost effectiveness of different programs. And he said, right. well, it's hard to do with this one because it costs nothing <laughs> you know, or in the long run, because you're right. just yeah, basically sure. taking the special education and retention money and putting it into prevention. 
and you know the kids wound up far ahead for nothing. Wow. Of course, naturally, everybody in the country wanted to do this. Not. <laughs> uh, and um, I mean, it's not that it was unpopular. Sure. Uh, uh, but um, uh, but it didn't. You know, the, you would. Well, you wouldn't imagine. But um, imagine, for example, <laughs> I, I can one, imagine. You know, would say, "Hey, this this is a much better thing than what we're doing. Why don't we? Why doesn't every country school in the country do it?" And of course, that's not what happened. Although, to be fair, um, we introduced this. It was very successful. You know, in, on a larger scale in Baltimore, we then began to move it to other uh, cities where it was very successful. Um, we just published in the in actually it's in the B uh, a, um, a review of research on success for all, actually okay. done by. Chinese researchers, okay, um, who had worked with us mm -hmm. as part of these exchanges, and um, so they, 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 the uh, you know the results have been all different kinds of places, different kinds of schools, uh, always high poverty schools, mostly African American, but also Hispanic um, populations, and um, it's it's still you know quite uh, effective, and it's in use in about nine hundred schools in America. Um, but of course, there are about 50,000 Title I schools. I don't, right. Why is that the case? But we we keep knocking our heads against that particular <laughs> wall. But, yeah. um, but you know, we've done a lot of, of, of additional developments and, you know, put in, introduced technology in various ways. And of course, uh, trying to trying to keep up with the with the times. And exactly. Whatnot. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, when I was, when I was on your site, the success for all website and just looking over some of the stuff, the one thing that popped out to me was the quote that children who aren't reading well by third grade are significantly less likely to graduate from high school and are unprepared for college and, uh, career opportunities. And that's by third grade. Um, you know, who just... did that research was Joy Lesnick, who's the, who's your research director in Philadelphia. No kidding. Yeah. So that I mean, it's been found many times, but that, but uh, the right. the thing that we usually cite and others cite was a study that she and others uh, did uh, several years ago. Yeah, um, and that I mean that just shows you the importance of of getting reading uh, fluency at the as early age as possible because that third grade mark is also where we switch from learning to read to uh, reading to learn, right? right? So that's obviously an important transition step there too. So. Um, the, but what we were saying earlier, the, in light of the pandemic now, uh, going back to this idea of tutoring, um, what is it about tutoring? Like, why is that so much more effective at helping students recover than other programs? What is it about tutoring? If you watch a tutoring session, you don't have to be asked twice. It's, <laughs> you know, if you watch a good tutoring, it, it's so remarkable to see what happens. These are the kids who are in the most trouble in the whole school. They, you know, these are kids who are, you know, far behind. Uh, what is the experience of kids like that in the in a regular classroom? They're miserable. They're quiet. They don't like to be called on. The teacher doesn't like to call on them because it embarrasses them. Mm -hmm. So they may sit quiet for six hours in a row, or they may decide it's more fun to disrupt the class. And they may, you know, they may have basically say, well, I can't succeed at their rules. I'll make my own rules. And, uh, you know, we can mess it up here. Yeah. But one way or another, it's it's just an awful, awful, awful situation for those kids. 
So you take them in um, and they work with, you know, one-to-one or one to small group. And uh, they, they, they get to know the tutor. The tutor knows them. The tutor, uh, it relates to them, jokes around with them. A good tutor will be, you know, teachers, have you ever heard it uh, as a teacher, the expression that uh, you, you're not supposed to smile before Christmas? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, why? I mean, the reason for that is because you're doing classroom management. Of course. And if you're smiling too much, then the t- the kids will take advantage of you. <laughs> if you're, one way if of thinking, you're, yeah. If you're working one to one or one to small group, that's not going to happen. Mm. Um, because you know you can you can be much more human. Yeah. Because you're not worried about classroom management with right. a class of one or two or four. Right. Um, and. Uh, and the, the other thing is that you can show kids success. The kids can start to make very rapid progress because you can adapt to the level of where they are and give them, you know, a rapid presentation of the phonics pr- principles or what, you know, the math or whatever. Uh, and you can immediately see whether they're getting or not. You can adapt to the, to the things that they're getting and the not ones that they're not. Skip things over if they're getting it too easily. Spend more time on it if they're not, you know, so just much more personalized. Yeah. Thing very personalized, um, but also very human, very uh, connected uh, with a valued adult that they can actually please. And so the, you know, and the, the contrast to the, uh, between that and the situation of those same kids back in the regular class is simply night and day. So it's not only that tutoring is wonderful, it's also the experience of the kids who would ever need tutoring is so horrible, so absolutely horrible. And this is such a contrast between the two. So the kids are, you know, pe- people often talk about, uh, you know, well, aren't the kids embarrassed, you know, to be taken out for tutoring? So the kids are scratching to get to their tutor. They, you know, uh, kids always want to go to their tutor because they get personal attention. They get to see the success. You know, it, it's, a, it's just a big game changer for them. So the, the kinds of things that, that, that uh, we were comparing tutoring to were things like um, uh, after-school programs, summer school programs, um, technology, extended day. They most of those are you know have some impact. I'm not saying that they don't that they're not effective or you shouldn't use them. Uh, but compared to tutoring, it's just like what you know <laughs> if, if you're just sitting in class, failing every single day trying to, you know, hunker, stay down in your seat so the mm-hmm. teacher won't notice you. Yep. And then you get another hour of it every single yeah. day. Good idea. That's great. <laughs> I read, um, I think it was on your blog. You, you wrote something about summer school and how horrible summer school is for probably the same reasons, right? Exactly. I mean, it's the, it's the you know, in summer school, you're in school, your friends are all out playing. Um, and, you know, there have been successful summer school programs, but guess what? They're tutoring programs in the summer. Right. But if they're not tutoring programs, then the kids are sitting in class. It may be a smaller class and there may be, you know, some fun activities that are interspersed, but the class part is the same. And the, if the class part is the same, you're going to get the same result during the summer as you get during the year. And that for these kids is really rotten. Right. right. So it, it's just not, it, you know, it, it's, it's just not nearly uh, as impactful as tutoring. And, Tutoring is always a good thing to have for kids who are struggling, but the COVID situation really shines a light on it in a special way because 
what you've got to be able to do, you've got kids who are, who have, have, you know, in theory, they've been on uh, remote uh, teaching, but they're not, mm-hmm. you know, some, they're not some there. of them are, they're not there. Yeah. They're not there. Uh, one, either they don't even have the equipment or the broadband uh, or they do. And somebody else in the family is using the computer all the time, or they do, and they have the computer and they're not using it. You know, they're just not doing it. Yeah. So they've been really out of school for a whole year and you know, they're in horrible shape. And most of the time, the kids who are in that kind of condition were not doing that great before. It's true. And so yeah. what, what you what you can't do is something rather mildly beneficial. It's got uh, be, to be major. It's got to be major and it's got to be fast because the kids are going to come back into school and they're going to be asking legitimate questions to themselves. Can I do this? Do I even want to do this? You know, they're going to be making ugly, ugly decisions at a time when they've been through a, you know, a major crisis and they don't have the worldview to say, well, I guess it'll fade away in a while. I'll be back to normal, which was pretty bad. Um, You know, you need to grab them and say, Hey, this is different. This is, this is markedly different from anything you've ever done. And this time it's going to work. And the belief that it's going to work, I think, is a key motivator for the kids to try, you know, to give it their full effort because everything else they've done has not had that uh, aspect. And the, and, and the, this is the tutoring. That's what you mean. It's the tutoring. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that they, they then have the perception, not only, you know, Hey, okay, I'm doing better in reading. But maybe I'm not as dumb as I thought. Maybe I, you know, maybe maybe I've got possibilities here. Maybe this is worth really taking seriously because actually I just didn't have it the right way before, but now I do. So I'm showing I can I can I can learn this stuff. Yeah. And so so the the kids can see in a good tutoring program, the kids can see from Monday to Friday how much they've gained. Wow. Yeah. So the, the you know the the gains are apparent to them. They don't need a stat statistic. They don't need an effect <laughs> size to tell them that now they're getting it, and that's right. huge. And when as a, as a teacher and as as a tutor, when you see that in your students, that is such a motivation for you too, to just just to see your kids light up when when that happens. So, um, talk to us about this uh, the lightning squad uh, through through the success for all because this is now. Uh, virtual tutoring essentially is what you've developed here, correct? Well, we we did create virtual tutoring during the pandemic because we had to, right? But that's not what I would recommend to do, doing if you don't have to. In other sure. words, once right. the kids, once the schools are open again, then they should be going back to to class uh, for two reasons. One is that I think it's a lot more motivating to kids to actually do this in person with a live person, of course. And secondly, we uh, tutoring with the Lightning Squad is one to four which makes it very cost effective, you know, uh, compared to one-to-one and still just as effective as one-to-one, but um, Hmm. you can't do one-to-four on a a computer like that. Someday you may be able to, but right now you can't. So you're, you're trying to work with one kid or, or a couple of kids uh, at most. And uh, so it's not as cost effective as it, as it is to be able to do that. That's just true of our own program. And many other programs are still one to one or one to two, but um, uh, but it's it's um, uh, it becomes you know uh, tutoring the Lightning Squad. What's what's really unique about it is well several things. 
Uh, one is that uh, we have, because we're working one to four, the kids are working as two pairs. They, two kids sharing a computer. They take turns as coach and, and uh, reader and then switch roles. So, I mean, that so we're, we're, we're engineering the, the interactions to make them, you know, a lot of fun. The content of it, we, we uh, made a partnership with uh, Sesame Workshop and we're using a lot of yeah. content from uh, the uh, electric company. Um, and one of the developers of Sesame Street works with us on development of things that, that are unique to the to this program. So, I mean, there's lots of go things going on. It's a lot, you know, it's, it's very fun. And the tutor, you know, is rotating among the kids and is you know, doing assessments and explaining and helping kids who are still having difficulty and that sort of thing. Um, so that's very cool. But it, it kind of, you know, stepping back to the societal thing that we're trying to solve, uh, tutors, tutoring has been known to be effective at least since the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and um, but it's always been horribly expensive. Right. right. You know, the reading recovery program was very dominant for many years. And that's one-to-one -one certified teacher training takes a whole year and um, you know, and, and it winds up being serving a very, very, very small number of kids. Um, and uh, there are just so many kids who need it that it's not, it's just not a practical thing. Actually, the people who made it have made it a, a one to three program now. Okay. For, for uh, that reason. Yeah. That, right. I would say that's probably the, the large, the biggest objection to tutoring programs is, is the cost effectiveness of them. Right. And yeah, so, uh, so if or the lack of cost effectiveness. True. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. The lack of cost effectiveness. Um, so for any teachers who are hearing this and are saying, yeah, my my students have definitely fallen behind in uh, particularly reading, but math reading a couple other subjects um, where if they want to learn more about this, where's the place to send them? Well, believe it or not, we have another website that we're making. That's, uh, we, we, what we've done is we've made a coalition among all of the effective tutoring programs. There are about 14 of them. Okay. Uh, so it's math and reading. It's uh, elementary and secondary, although there aren't, believe it or not, there aren't any secondary reading tutoring programs. There are a couple of math ones, but uh, this is mostly an elementary story. Yeah, I guess the, the the assumption is that you should be able to read pretty well by the time you get to secondary, I guess. They know that's not true. <laughs> Don't I'm, a touchy, I'm, just, I'm a little touchy about this at this moment <laughs> because we, we, we keep year after year putting in proposals to do research on middle school tutoring, and they always get turned down for one reason or another. I don't know why, but um, uh, there's no reason whatever. In fact, we used to work in England for a period of time. And in England, uh, they have, uh, well, two particularly, there are more than two, but you know, two in particular, uh, middle school tutoring programs, and they work great. So there's no, re no, no, reason, no reason to expect yeah. it would be any different for middle school. It's just that there aren't any U.S. programs. Hmm. So wow. there will be sooner or later, but... Um, if, you have, if you have your way, there will be. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, but... Um, but in any case, so so in a way, I think a lot of people still have this, you know, old-fashioned belief that tutoring is too expensive. So you know, sure, it'd be wonderful we could do it. And it gets but, tossed uh, out before the, the conversation even happens. Right. Yeah. So, but in but in fact, all of these fourteen programs use uh, uh, te teaching assistance with a college degree. So teaching assistance cost about half what a teacher does, 
and there are plenty of them. So in the, if we were using teachers, you couldn't find teachers because there is sure. a teacher shortage. You know, in Everywhere. nobody's going to take a, a teacher. The only teacher they could put in third grade and take them out of third grade and make them a tutor. It just it wouldn't make any sense. Right. Uh, but these um, college-educated uh, paraprofessionals um, do an excellent job, and you can work in small groups. Some of the programs, like ours, work in small groups. So now tutoring is not so expensive, and we have the American Rescue Plan uh, that's headed our way, which is uh, designed specifically to try to mitigate the the uh, losses that kids have had due to the COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, uh, you know, we're now in a situation where uh, it's impossible to say you can't do tutoring. Of course you can do tutoring. There's money for it. The government is encouraging it. Uh, we, we, we know much better what to do than we used to know. We couldn't have put together, you know, 10 years ago, there wouldn't have been 14 programs that had good evidence of effectiveness. Um, but now there are. So, yeah. you know, there, there is... Um, so what we've done is, is make this coalition and basically the coalition is going to go around trying to make the case for proven tutoring generically and say, sure, yeah, pick any of these, whichever you like. You know, there's a basis. You might prefer this one or that one. And some are more expensive and some are less, you know, but pick the one that works one. for you. Yeah. yeah, but pick one. Pick pick the one that's that's I mean, now, of course, some of them only work in K to K to two or K to three, some of them in three to five, some of them in uh, the math programs. There's one math program for middle school and one for high school. Um, so in some cases, you don't have much choice because there's only one program at your level. But in, even in the places where, where there are uh, multiple choices, which mostly means early reading, pick one, you pick know, one. pick one and run with it. Don't yeah. pick zero because it, this is a, you know, this is a crucial thing that you're doing that this is a, and you now have the money for it. So don't waste it on crazy stuff. You know, this is the time to focus your money on something that really makes a difference. That, that'll be the quote that I'll pull out. Don't waste your money on crazy stuff. <laughs> no, but I mean, you, you've got, like you said, you've got the rescue plan. You've got the money coming for you. Don't get stuck in analysis paralysis. Get one and get rolling. Um, I think that's that's great advice. So um, we, I can't believe I looked at the clock. We've been talking for about an hour already. Uh, is is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to make sure that you uh, get out before we head out? <laughs> I think we got it. Um, I think this has been just, it's, it's been a, a drinking from a fire hydrant of <laughs> information and it's been fantastic. Uh, a ton of quality um, as expected, I suppose, but um, thank you so much. This, is, this has been absolutely great. So let's move to our exit ticket questions. So these are the same four questions that I ask every guest who comes on the show. And the first one is, do you have a book recommendation that teachers should check out? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a number of very good books that basically focus on core teaching moves, teaching strategies. Uh, there's a very famous one, except that I forget the name of the guy. Uh, starts with an L, very famous. But, but it really is very good stuff. Uh, and it's not all researched. It's based on very good research principles. And there are actually programs that are similar to the kinds of things he's talking about. But I think it's uh, more, you know, it's very useful in terms of the, just the core 
you know, how you ask questions, yeah. how do you how you maintain a high pace of instruction. Right. Some of those pillars of quality teaching. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. So um, we, you'll you'll get that over to me because I can't think of it right now either. So get yeah. that over to me. We'll put we'll put it in the show notes and I'll I'll make sure I uh, highlight it then at, at the beginning or end of uh, when I do my opening or wrap up. So right. uh, question number two then is a resource. So you have what, like 17 that we just covered <laughs> that teachers can, can uh, look out. Is there one that we didn't talk about that you should, that you want to say, go, go look at this resource. This is something worth diving into. No, I think that the, the, the evidence for ESSA is where I would go first. Yeah. Uh, right now it covers reading and math pretty thoroughly. It covers, uh, um, it covers um, not social studies, social emotional learning, not uh, okay. social studies. It yeah, will. It's, it's got a box that's labeled um, science and one that's labeled writing. That uh, if the tutoring thing hadn't happened, we would have filled it by now. Sure, but sure. It's, um, yeah. we've kind of been been busy. Huh. This this little, uh, uh, little thing we call a global pandemic got in the way. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. So people are not exactly thinking about science and writing right now. Yeah, uh, but. Um, uh, but I think, but I think that even you know, just the, for the reading and math stuff, that is is intended for them. It's intended for teachers and principals and others who are making these decisions. Of course. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I would certainly uh, recommend that as the first place would, to look. It was fun. I mean, I'm, I'm a music teacher, so it wasn't directly relating to, me, to yeah. any of my personal work. But it was fun to just to click through and say, "Oh, look at look at all the information that's been gathered about all of these programs." Uh, and it's right there in one hub. So I would definitely, yeah, suggest. Yeah, I describe it as like a combination between a Sears catalog and <laughs> Consumer Reports. I mean, imagine that you had the Sears catalog and you say, "Hey, well, that that look looks great. <laughs> oh, look at the quality." No, 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 no. Let's try something else. For anybody who was uh, who was in their first or second year teaching and and was born after 1996 and doesn't know what a Sears catalog was, well, you can infer what a Sears catalog was. <laughs> Amazon.com. Okay, right. <laughs> yes, but um, yeah, definitely, we'll we'll link it up. Uh, go check those out. Uh, question number three then is: What piece of advice would you like to give teachers, particularly those who are just starting out their careers? work on teaching rather than content. Uh, I think a lot of people get snared into thinking that the, that the details of the content are the most important thing and that if they, they have to get more and more expert on the content, no, you have to know your stuff and there's no question. But study after study after study after study in m many different fields uh, finds that you know, professional development things that focus on how much do you know about the topic produce great gains for the teachers in terms of how much they know about the topic, but nothing <laughs> for the kids. That what what sure. makes kids learn, what what's most important about what the whether kids learn or not, is the way in which it's presented and the and the uh, and the and the organization of the classroom. You know that, that there there are a remarkable number of of purely classroom management programs that have positive effects on reading and on math. Right. You know, classroom management for classroom management, that's great. You know, that's, you'd expect that, but they have impacts over and over again. And many different of programs do this that have positive effects on reading and math more than anything that's intended for reading and math. That's got actual reading and math content. And I think that that's very important for new teachers to realize, you know, okay, yes, I know my stuff. I've, you know, I read all the books. 
Um, but let me get to a point of making each and every class day exciting, engaging, social, um, you know, it surprises every day. You know, the, it's, it's the things that, you know, that get the kids motivated and attentive and they just can't stop listening because some amazing things about to happen. Yeah. Um, all of all the things, things that you unfortunately don't learn very well in college programs. And I mean, right. I mean, you're, you don't have the experience, right? You are in college to get all of the knowledge and the academic stuff. And then, yeah, the, those first couple of years, um, the, the learning curve is definitely on the classroom management and the engagement and all that other stuff. But, um, I, I love that. Just turn, turn your attention. You've, you've been focused, especially as a first year teacher, you've been focused so long on learning your content right. that, the the shift to learning how to teach now um once once those kids are in front of you that that's definitely an important switch so right uh, that's great so uh last question then question number four is if anybody uh wants to reach out to you or wants to find you or has any questions about what we talked about or would be a good place to send them um well you can send me an email uh at you've got my email but you know arslevin yeah. at jhu.edu uh and um if I will respond to good questions. <laughs> I like that. But, but you, there are no dumb questions, right? Uh, well, I wouldn't say dumb questions, but um, yes, there are dumb questions. There, <laughs> we all know it. We all know. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh man. Dr. Robert Slavin. This has just been such a joy for me. Uh, like I said, it's, it's been like drinking from a, from a fire hydrant, but it's just been so valuable. I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And there you have it. The Dr. Robert Slavin. Uh, big thank you, obviously, to him. Uh, and before I forget about it, uh, he did want to, He did send over uh, his book recommendation, which is Teach Like a Champion by Doug Lamov. So um, that was his book recommendation. So if any of you were curious about that, um, fantastic book there. Uh, man, how many nuggets could you pull from this conversation? I mean, I, I just, uh, I feel like I have probably 10 or 12 things that I can talk about. Um, but I would recommend actually go and look at, go to the show notes page again, jabadoo.com slash show 38, look, uh, click on the links and check out, uh, the best evidence encyclopedia, the B, uh, and the evidence for ESSA. Um, both of those websites are just absolutely phenomenal. Um, really well laid out, really easy to navigate, and just really kind of fun to peruse. Um, so go check those out. Uh, but then obviously, you know, we wrapped up this conversation, which I think is probably the most poignant and most uh, timely, uh, you know, aspect of this episode, which is, you know, we're coming out of this, hopefully we're coming out of this COVID-19 pandemic here, and we're going to have a lot of students who have uh, fallen behind, especially if they haven't had the same access to internet and to technology like uh, other students may have had. Um, and they're going to be asking themselves, I forget what exactly he was saying, what Dr. Slavin was saying, but they're going to be asking themselves these questions that, you know, do I belong in school? Do I even want to put in the effort to catch back up? These incredibly important um, questions that we we need to get ahead of this. Uh, and so all of these tutoring programs that are now available, um, make sure you look into them because like we said, the, the rescue plan uh, that the, the Biden administration has now laid out, 
sets aside money for tutoring. So again, we'll have links to everything. Go to the show notes page, jabadoo.com slash show 38. Um, just so much, uh, so much information in this episode. I'm sure you got something, but uh, go check those out uh, just to make sure that you wrap up with everything else. And before I set you loose, I uh, just wanted to remind you again, we've got our Jabadoo uh, community there on Facebook. Uh, so many cool things. Hopefully, I, I think they're cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope that they're valuable. Um, but if you want to be a part of that conversation, go check it out. Uh, again, Jabadoo.com right there on the homepage or go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo and you'll be able, able to find it there. So uh, what a fantastic conversation. Uh, I'm hoping that you got some value out of it just like I did. And until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.